I know this time will be warm and safe Cause we'll be carrying each other Never say goodbye for eternity Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to a very special session. Uh, today, I am very honored to have with me Dr. Asael Romanelli, for, live from Israel. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Rabbi Yisrael Bernath. For the past 15 years, I have been talking, counseling, and working with people with the relationships, on the relationships. And so um, I'm really, really happy to be able to provide these very special sessions. Now, a couple of things that you should know before we get started. Number one is this session is going to be recorded. We will be sending out the recording to you after this session. So in case you wanted to go back to it, you wanted to take notes, you wanted to think about various elements of it, you have that to refer to. The other thing is that we have you muted only because our group is very large today. And um, you can use the chat button on the side. It's really important. Use that chat button on the side. Ask your questions. Even throughout our discussions, throughout everything that's happening this afternoon, you can ask questions. And we are going to try to answer every single one of your questions this afternoon. So with that in mind, I'd like to uh, welcome Dr. Romanelli. Something that really... um, shocked me about Dr. Romanelli when I first met him is he's not like other therapists. So just to give you a background on him, he's a clinical social worker. He's a licensed couple and family therapist. He's an international trainer and a playback theater conductor. He's the founder and director of the Potential State Institute for Enriching Relationships, which incorporates and integrates therapy, art, and education to create safe spaces for people to connect to themselves and to others. He's also an artistic director for the Or Chozar Playback Theater Company in Jerusalem, and his doctoral research and training therapists in improvisation skills, and has since trained hundreds of professionals to be more spontaneous, to be more playful, to be more effective in their service. He's lectured to audiences all over the USA, Europe, and Israel, And currently, as of just a few weeks ago, he moved from Jerusalem to Kvar Saba. So I believe it's called the suburbs of Israel. So uh, he he moved to the suburbs where he lives with his wonderful wife, who we've gotten to know, and his two children. And so I'd like to introduce Dr. Romanelli to uh, kind of get our feet wet, get our palates wet, get us excited for what we're going to experience over the next two hours. Dr. Romanelli. 
So thank you, Rabbi Bernath, for hosting me. Welcome. Good evening from Kfal Saba. It's nine o'clock. The kids are starting bedtime and I don't need to be there because I get to be with you guys. Um, I'm so excited. I have so many things I want to talk to you about. I mostly want to answer your questions and be relevant for you. So I'll just say one. Basically, my life is, 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 is composed of therapy, art and education. That's the triangle I live in. And throughout my life, that's what I've been searching. And today I'm finding myself more and more um, diving deeper into those topics. And deep, deep, the more I'm doing this, the more I'm realizing that the big work is going to be actually working on, on the shadow, working on the parts that we don't usually acknowledge and own. Um, Rabbi Bernath, I'm thinking, what, like, basically what I'm planning for today is me and Rabbi Bernath, we've known each other for, what, two, three, three years and we've been going back and forth. We both are very passionate about relationships, about love, intimacy, um, and all the other things that are happening. Both of us are dealing with hundreds of people. And we thought it'd be really interesting to, for you guys to have a chance to hear both sides. The therapist, which I'm usually talking more about the shadow and what secrets and traumas and what people are not talking about. And then Rabbi Bernath is dealing a lot with the spiritual guidance and, and really give you guys an uncensored, raw, improvised um, authentic conversation, dealing with the questions that are most relevant for you. And I hope this will be a beginning of a series. Uh, Rabbi Bernath, like what, what else? Guide me a little bit. So I want you to give us an idea of, you know, I've all, so I have had interactions with so many therapists and I have been uh, over the years talking to therapists and I find that you are very different. I'll tell you what really struck me at first as to why you're different and obviously, I know, you know, I'm sure you love somebody tooting your horn and uh, telling you how amazing stop you're... It. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> but uh, first of all, you're very open and free to, uh, to, to share. To share. You have spent years with your experience, with your training. Many therapists don't share the way you share. So I, I love that about you. The other thing that I really love about you is that you're marriage-minded, that you're relationship-minded. And I find that so many therapists that I come in contact with, and obviously I'm just generalizing, but many of the therapists that I come in contact with are not necessarily relationship or marriage-minded. So I wanted you to kind of give us a little bit of a, of a taste of what makes you different, what, 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 what makes you tick? Why do you, well, first of all, first of all tell, give us a, a taste of your philosophy. And then give us an idea of what makes you different. Okay, so I want to, I want to reverse it. I want to say I, my background's in education. I came to a couple in family therapy very late. I was single many, many years. I was messed up for many, many years. And realizing, finding the couple family therapy really um, just made sense. And suddenly I just downloaded as many books. And I just I did hundreds of hours of therapy, both as a, as a client and as a therapist. And I think what I'm realizing today is that therapy is, is, is a way of life for me. It's changed everything. It's changed my life. And I try to minimize the hypocrisy that all therapists have by using my marriage as my stage. Is that how you say that in French? Stage. <laughs> so everything I'm going to be talking about tonight has been tested on my own marriage. And a lot of what I do is because I believe problem with a lot of times with therapists, my mom was a therapist, so there you go, is there's a gap, there's a hypocrisy between what therapists say and what they actually do. My mom used to always say to me, do as I say, don't do as I do. She had at least that much of awareness. And I think that's really been a kind of a 
principle for me. I said, if I'm going to go down in this adventure and this, this is going to be my calling, I want to be as honest as I can. And a lot of it's been keeping myself accountable. So, so as I meet clients, as I see through their struggles, I'm realizing my struggles. And I realized the whole point of life is to share. And everything I've learned, I want to share with you guys today. And I want to give you um, this. Is, I'm working right now on the book, which is going to be called How to Stay Married, Three Dots to the Same Person. And that, there are, that's where I'm going to bring my, my relationship Torah. But for now, I'm going to give you the basic components of my philosophy. The first thing that's really important is play. Play, okay? The difference between game and play is game is as a set of rules, winners and losers. Play is a state of mind. Okay, when you soften perception of reality, you don't take yourself too seriously. You're, you're, you can go up to the balcony and come back to the dance floor. You're moving, you're fluid. That is the, that is the lubrication of life. That is what makes everything sweeter, everything softer, everything more flowing. And the three core elements of any relationship and you can write this down. I'm also going to email this to you afterwards, a little presentation in the handout. But the first is own your shtick. Own your shtick, which basically means own your shadow. What is a shadow in this sense? I'm using, talking about the Jungian aspect. All the sides of yourself that you deny, hide, minimize, project on others. The metaphor I always give is when I'm pointing to you, one finger is pointing to you, but three are pointing back at me. And most people are focusing more on the one finger, not enough on the three. Own your shtick. First of all, own it to yourself and dare to share with others. Instead of pretending that you're perfect and sweet and neurotic and good looking, bring your shadow to the front because that's the only chance you'll have to ever feel loved and feel connected. And that will set you free. And you'll be able to, to be and create relationships where you can be yourself. Because I realized many years ago, when am I going to be myself? When I come back from work, when my kids go to sleep, when my wife go to sleep, I want to be myself. I don't have a lot of time. I want to be myself. How do I do that? I start by owning my shadow. When I bring my shtick forward, my superpowers are in the shadow. That's what people don't understand. They say, I'll hide the shadow, but no. On the contrary, bring the shadow to the front and you will feel that power. But for that, you need to face your own demons and let go of what other people are going to think of you at any given situation. So that's one, own your shtick. I'm happy to talk about it more and I'm sure we'll talk about it more during, the t- during this conversation. The second element is let it land. Let it land. What does that mean? Let what the other person is saying into you. Open up, let that in. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, let what they're saying land. All of us are, are really, really good at blocking up other people, defending ourselves, getting triggered, either going fight, flight, or freeze. This requires us to use our prefrontal cortex and let these things in. In couples therapy, we call this accepting influence. One of the highest predictors of divorce is whether the partners are accepting influence from each other, which means let what they're saying in. There's a high probability that they can see things you can't see about yourself. That's called a blind spot. We're going back to the shtick. You have tons of blind spots. The only person that can see your blind spot is somebody that's across from you. So instead of blocking it, let it land. They have a lot of growth there for you if you dare to see it and let it land. And the third one is say the thing. Say the thing. Bold, clear, one-dimensional communication. In psychotherapy, we call this immediacy skills, the ability to speak about the here and now. What am I feeling right now with you? Am I feeling happy or sad? It can also be positive, 
Like I'm, my heart is so open for you guys. I'm really excited for all of you. And it can also be negative. Thinking like I'm pressured. I won't be able to answer all your questions. So I'm broadcasting live. I call this, you're broadcasting live. You're in self-exposure. I'm not trying to impress. I'm not trying to say that, but it has to be in that order. Own your, own your shtick. First of all, first of all, own your shadow, then let the other person's things land and then say the thing. And what I'm realizing is I'm working more and more with couples and I'm realizing that my gift is not only that I have the gift of play and I can give that, by the way, I don't have the gift of play. I've worked on the gift of play because I grew up in an environment with no play, full of depression, full of secrets. And I had to climb my way, claw my way out of that. So you, you, once you have that play, you start with all your shit, then you let it land. And then, um, yeah, I sometimes say own your SH exclamation mark T. That's how I copyrighted it. I'm going to say own your shtick. But from time to time, I'm not perfect. I might say own your SH exclamation mark T, which is a completely different thing. What it is, trying to keep it kosher? I'm censoring it for Rabbi Bernath. But when we talk later, we'll just call it the other one exclamation T. <laughs> so that's basically what I want to say. And what I'm realizing more and more, so I can create these potential states, these, these playful spaces. But what I'm really good at is helping people see and own their shtick. And the price I pay for that is being in, um, uncomfortably productive. Because at any given moment, it's my job to stretch people. And that's another angle that I have, the rabbit enough, he does in a different way. So when you sit across from me in a clinic, I'm going to think about what are you not telling me? What are you not saying? Stop seeing yourself as a helpless victim. Stop blaming other people. Own your shtick. And that will give you agency. But for that, you need to, be, you need to let me in and you need to let me push you. And the only way I can do that, my gym is to own my own shtick, whether it's through my own supervision, my own therapy, working with Rabbi Bernath, but mostly for my wife. And if you're lucky enough, you're going to find someone who's going to keep you accountable, who's going to push you and want more from you, who's not going to let you whip out your greatest hits, your business cards, as we call it, the way you present yourself, who's going to say, I want more from you. The problem is that nobody wants more from us. Everyone's happy with whatever, you know, whatever business cards we give them. How are you doing? Fine. Are you really fine? How many people are ever going to say, no, tell me what you're really feeling? That's what we're missing. So, up, so I can do that and, and I help people do that to each other, first of all, to themselves and to their partners, but that's what we're missing. Robert Bernath, I can go on forever. You need to direct <laughs> I, me here because I'm spitting out truth. I'm spitting out the truth right now. I'm a hyper. I'm, 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 I'm a hyper. Yes. Did you have a coffee before this? No, I don't drink coffee, but I finally get to, I, you know, I just spend so many hours. In, think about this. Every single person that calls me is in trauma. So I'm basically swimming in people's trauma. Now, here's the thing. I can't heal anybody. The only, my gift is I can play in people's pain. Whereas Stevie Wonder says, I put the joy inside their tears. That's what it's about. Pain's not going to go away. But let's go into it. Let's embrace it. Deep down inside, I'm a very pessimistic, negative, depressed person. But I've trained myself to find the movement, to find the joy, to find the play. Why? Because I know that it can be better than this. You keep on saying this word play. I don't know if I really understand what that means. What does it mean okay. to play? Not so, only that, but somebody has also asked how you develop play. That was oh. a question from the chat. So okay, I don't know so, to that now or a little later, but somebody like to, uh, asked that on the I'd like to also introduce Rabbi Yosh here. Rabbi Yosh is my colleague at Chabad NDG, and he's going to be moderating the chat and moderating some of this discussion today. So thank you, Rabbi Yosh. Thank you, Rabbi Yosh. So play. So let's talk about play for instance. So we spoke about game. 
right? Rules, winner, loser, monopoly, chess, mortgage, your career, your life. Your life is one long game and there's a goal at the end, right? Whether you know the rules or not, play is a state of mind. There's no winning or losing. When my five-year-old daughter plays with her doll, she calls in her babies, okay? So that is a state, there's no point to that. And it's a very visceral, emotional, it's not necessarily like, la, 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 she can get angry, she can get sad, okay? So that is play. In other words, sometimes we call this potential state, which is the state between reality and fantasy, but I don't want to bombard you with too many, with too many ideas. I'm going to send you all the links afterwards. I don't play with dolls. I, I know, I see my daughters playing with dolls. A lot of us don't have children. So right. I, I don't know what that means. How do, how do I, as an adult deal with this play thing? So I think I need to reverse for a second. I do want to talk about potential state. When a child is born, she is born into a fantastic world where she is omnipotent. The good enough mother frustrates her into reality. In the middle, she can hold potential state. That's when they have imaginary friends talking to themselves, playing with their dolls, imagining they're a cowboy or whatever. Okay. When we grow older, that potential state is where we experience love, wonder, trust, belief, awe, love, imagination, creativity. That is a skill you can learn. If I want to say this, in other words, play is softening my perception of reality. To stop taking myself so seriously, stop feeling sorry for myself, realizing that all of life, this is just one long journey and adventure. But the play is not necessarily always happy. It's always being soft and moving, 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 movement. And I think I, I teach people, that's what I do. I teach people how to play whether it's therapists, couples, individuals, families, rabbis, educators, doctors, you can learn this. I am living proof of that. But for that, you need to realize why you want play because here's the thing. Play is the privilege of the living. When you're in survival mode, whether poverty, abuse, but even if you're just trying to do the ball and chain and just finish the day, if you're in a survival mindset, you won't be able to play. If you want to live we all know the Maslow pyramid of needs. On the bottom, it's like safety, shelter, food, water. The higher parts of the pyramid are uh, awareness, belief. If you want to go up in Maslow's pyramid, you need to have play. So first of all, that's going to require you to realize, to, to step out of yourself a little bit, soften the reality, soft, soften your left brain concrete perception of the world, and start entering into more flexible movement in your own perception, your perception of others. And that's going to allow you to, uh, to be able to dare to do more things because there are no mistakes. That I, I, and wait, I want to say one more thing. What? I'm sorry that I'm cutting you off, but I, I still don't, I mean, it, you're saying a lot of really great stuff. I still don't really understand. What does it mean? Can you give me like a practical tip or tool that I could use today to be able to create play in my life? Yes. Start owning your shtick. Start from time to time, look, make these mini confessions. Like, for instance, um, I'm sorry for interrupting you, Dr. Romanella, but actually I'm not really sorry because I have another question I want to ask. For instance, these little, little bit confessions show a little bit of your shtick, a little bit of your shadow. That's also signaling to your brain, I'm not under fire. I can give a shot. And then what happens is the second you do this with a little bit of smile because you're not going serious, because you have a little bit of play, everything is a bit softer. For me, how do I enter play? I sometimes speak faster than I can censor myself. I kind of go in a stream of consciousness sometimes and that liberates me a little bit. And then what I do sometimes if I'll say something, I'll be, whoops, that's a little too much. I'm going to rein it back. And I actually say it as I'm going to rein this back. 
And for that, and obviously some people, wait, some people are not used to being playful. They might get insulted, but that's fine because at the end of the day, you attract your life people that are are similarly minded. If you're surrounded by heavy people, by serious people, by overworking people, that probably means that's what you are. You want to attract more playful people, more spontaneous people. You have to start being like that. And that requires courage, a lot of courage. And that's what you guys need to realize. But at the end of the day, why fake it? Why be somebody serious that I'm not? Why pretend to be something I'm not? Life's too short. I don't have time. In a minute, I'm going to be reincarnated as a butterfly or as a horse. I don't have a lot of time. (laughs) I don't know. Is this clear? Is this clear? Or for instance, another thing we do a lot of times, me and my wife will do a take two. So I'm saying something to Francesca and I see that she doesn't like what I'm saying. Francesca, I'm just saying because I can see her face on the screen. And then I can see she doesn't like it so much. I'm like, Francesca, let's do a take two. And then me and Francesca agree to rewind the conversation one minute ago. And then we just do a take two. See that? That little thing. That's just a little thing. But we're both agreeing to suspend reality. Francesca is not going to be insulted. She's going to choose to be bigger and, and breathe. And we're going to rewind. We're going to say the same thing again, but in a different way, in a more playful way. Right, Shoshana? You know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There she is. You see? There you go. And that's the thing. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm allowing myself to move. We don't have time. Hey, Shoshana's with someone. Is that your sister, Shoshana? Is that your sister? I know. I know. Hey, so, Actually, really. Yes. Somebody just asked me, is play like entering a soul state, seeing the world not too seriously? Is that it's okay. like soul state? Okay. I want to talk about the soul because this is obviously a Rabbi Bernath student. Because Rabbi Bernath is all about soul. And so I, I find the word soul is very heavy and like soul. Like either it's like soul music or like it's soul. And I feel like that for me, heaviness is not place necessarily. So I, I wouldn't say it's a soul state. I would say it's like a, you could, you know what? If, if soul works for you, gesundheit high to you, as we say in Yiddish. It's, it updates you. It's, it's a softer perception of reality. If soul means soft for you, if soul means it's bigger than what I see, do it. Dayenu, which means and that's good enough. I think the measure for it can be is do I have, do I have a sense of freedom? Because at the end of the day, that's what it's about, about freedom. It's about feeling comfortable with who you are. And I know I, I want to own this because it's also here as a man. I never had to worry too much about wearing heels or shaving or coloring my hair or shaving my legs. I want to own that. So I have that privilege. But I, I want to give that to also men and women. We don't have to always be what we call self-presentation, always presenting myself with my greatest hits. And here are my business cards. It's exhausting. That's when people become sarcastic, bitter, repressed. And then they have to go drinking alcohol to feel, you know, I lived in London for two and a half years. Everyone's like, all day, but they drink, they go to the pub because they have to release all the energy, all the shadow. Like, can we slowly move from self-presentation to self-exposure, to broadcasting live, to more spontaneous, open, flawed, imperfect. Yeah, Dayenu means good enough. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's what we're thinking about. That's what we're looking at. I want to uh, kind of move this discussion into uh, something that's a little more uh, like a, a difference between, let's say, the rabbi perspective and the therapy perspective. And obviously, I know that I don't speak for all rabbis and, and you don't speak for all therapists. But here's, here's my thought, okay? Love. The word love. Mm. People say, I love ice cream. 
and I love my mom. I mean, it seems like such a, a word that, I mean, how can you attribute a, a romantic love with the same word that you love your, your, your ice cream or whatever else you're loving. What, what is, I mean, I, I know what Judaism says about love and I'll talk about that in a second, but just kind of, what are your thoughts on love? Well, that's a big one. Thank you for that question. So this actually goes back to my last visit in Montreal when we did a Q and a at the center and then somebody asked me that and my intuit I was like I was because like, I realized in 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 the in therapy no one ever asked me about love. We never talk about love. We'll talk about arguing, fight, sex, humiliation, trauma, childhood abuse, addictions. We never talk about love. It's almost like it's not we don't even get to it because the how the room's full of blood and knives are being thrown everywhere and like ah but what what came up to me the word came up to me is love is freedom. And then I slowly developed this into an article, which I'll obviously share with you. But I want to read to you what I wrote as the definition of love. I will say it twice. Love is, I will, I will read you the definition and then I want to break that down. So I'm owning it. This is my def- subjective definition as of 2020. This might change because we always change. Love is the positive freedom to playfully bring your self-states together with your shadow within the creative limitations of a committed intimate relationship. Let me just also throw that into the chat. And now I want to break it down for you. One second. Oh, my God. I'm doing technology so fast. Here we go. Wait one second. One second. Let me just, let me just throw that up there. Here we go. Check it out. So positive liberty. This is Isaiah Berlin. He's basically talking about it's a freedom to live within my own set of rules, my own set of boundaries. I'm going back to freedom. I can say anything to Rabbi Bernath, that, and that makes me feel that I can love him more. The more I love Shoshana, the more I love Hannah, the more Stephen Conry, Montreal. I can say more and more things to Stephen, right, Stephen? I can say things to you, right? Maybe. You can't even answer me. I love when Stephen just listens to me. He's such a good listener, especially when he's on mute. So first of all, it's the positive liberty just to say to Stephen whatever I want. And then self-states. I want to say something about self-states because once in psychotherapy, we used to think there was a, there was a true self and a false self. And I need to bring my true self. Today in relational psychotherapy, we talk about there's self-states. There's a lot of different parts of a cell. There's not just one true cell. There's the funny cell, the aggressive cell, the child cell, the adult cell, the sexual cell, the believer cell. And love is my ability to bring a lot of these different parts to my relationship with Stephen. And I'm bringing those self-states. I'm also bringing my shadow. And I, I'm being free to be that. And what, why, do I, why do I say creative limitations? Because I'm sure we're going to be asking about the question of marriage. And I know that, in, especially in Israel, also in the States, like marriage is almost considered like, ugh, passe. Why would I want to do that? Switch, Tinder, flip, flick like right or left. I don't know. But at the end of the day, the only place to grow is in, the, is in an intimate, committed relationship. Why? Because who can see my shtick better than the person who sees me every single day, day in and day out. And this is the thing, marriage, whether you want to call it marriage with a ring or just a committed long-term relationship, I don't care. I'm not a rabbi. I don't care. I just want you guys to grow and you grow within a committed long-term relationship because that way Merle, they'll see more and more sides of you and you can grow and own more and more of your shtick because your shtick is endless. There's just so much more to bring And The more I bring, the more powerful I get and the more free I get because at the end of the day, what's love? My love is my ability to say anything. My ability to say to my wife, uh, I'm embarrassed right now, or you have bad breath, or I feel so childish right now for, for being jealous. Uh, I wish I could all, like all those things. And you, do, and you go like this, and then you open your eyes, and Stephen is still there. 
with a Canadian flag behind him, loving me, cherishing me. That is love. That's why I mean, Stephen, it's a love affair. It was love at first sight. Wow. I, I think from a Jewish perspective, when we talk about love, we talk about a lot of different types of love. For example, a lot of the things that we love, we love items. We love it. Like a lot of people even turn their romantic relationships into loving an item, an idea. I love the idea of what I want you to be. I love your potential of what I want you to be. But what about the holistic love? What is the idea that I love something that is beyond myself that I don't really need to love? Like you were saying, I, 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 don't, I don't really need to love that person. I love them because I'm, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I need something in them. I'll give you a, an example. There was a, a, a young woman who had um, gone to the Rebbe. I, I talk a lot about the Lubavitcher Rebbe, my mentor, teacher, the late Lubavitcher Rebbe. And uh, he, the, she was discussing potential matches with the Rebbe. And she was saying, this one is not good for me, and that one is not good for me. And the Rebbe almost laughed or chuckled and said, I think you've read too many romance novels. The Rebbe said to her that love is not the overwhelming, blinding emotion that we find in the world of fiction. That real love is an emotion that intensifies throughout your life, throughout your relationship. It's a small, it's the small everyday acts of being together that make love flourish. It's the, the sharing, the caring, the respecting one another. It's the building a life together, a family, a home. It's that two lives unite to form one. And over time, there's a point where each partner feels like they become a part of the other, where each partner can no longer visualize life without the other person. I would say, well, yeah. Keep going. I was like, I had this like, but keep going. And then I want to uh, like, I'm, I'm letting this land go on. So does anyone really know what love is? I think that if you take a look at Judaism and the way that we look at love and the way that we've looked at love for so many centuries is that it is the single most necessary component of human life. That the most important thing you can do as an adult is get into a serious relationship that leads to marriage and get married. That it's both giving and receiving. It, it allows us to experience another person and also lets another person experience us. So when... We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now 
wherever you listen to your podcasts. Go on. Sorry, sorry. Keep going. <laughs> no, because I have all these like bubbles of like, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to forget. Oh, go so on. You, you, can, you can go. I mean, this is a discussion. You don't have to let me go I on. Know. I know. No, I'm respecting you in the beginning of the talk and then I'll cut you off more. <laughs> I already I'm cut owning you. my shtick. I'm owning my shtick, people. I've already cut you off twice. You can cut me off. By the way, you noticed like that really changed the way, like letting it land. I stopped looking at people like I'll close my eyes because I'm scanning my body to see what Rabbi Bernath is saying is landing. The two things that came up for me and I want to share that is he said, we reach a point where um, I can't imagine my life without you. For me as a therapist, okay, that rings of symbiosis. Okay, for me, I'm, well, for me, what's the goal of of life is to is to myself is to keep growing and developing. I realize I guess I'm more egocentric than that. That's the goal. That's my goal. Everyone in your life are are, are is your stage. They're all um, extras coming into your life for different levels, different amounts of time, different levels of intimacy and intensity to help you develop and fulfill and touch and be touched and grow. Who else? What better people growing mechanism is there from a long-term committed relationship slash marriage? There is none. But this is what I want to say. At the end of the day, all the therapists talk about like the three stages of love. There's the sexual attraction that there might spills into the one, but they're all going toward, they're all leading toward the act of love, love and knowledge, where it becomes, I can live without you, but I don't want to. In French, we call this rapprochement. I hope I said that right. Rapprochement. I'm coming back home. I can live without you, Mila. I could live without you, Mila Bagdadian, but I don't want to. I've been, I've seen, I can be without you. I can, I can live without you. It's not like I will die if you will leave me. But being with you gives me a sense of fullness, gives me a sense of fulfilling. I can feel, I can feel you. You can feel me. We are sharing something together, Mila. And that's why I, I don't, I'm not aiming for symbiosis becoming one. And maybe, maybe, maybe that's where I am right now. But this, by the way, my practical, my stage is with like, I'm testing everything right now. I don't want to be one with my wife. I want her to be next to me. In fact, I want to cut the umbilical cord and be less reactive so I can see her. So I can enjoy her differencenessness to enjoy that. And she can see me because oftentimes I saw a couple here today, seven months together. Every time he says something, she has to react. That's called symbiosis. That is called, the, I always give the metaphor, the umbilical cord is not cut. Oftentimes the problem is, is not that we're too distant, that we're too reactive. And here's maybe an interesting, Rabbi Bernath, here we could talk about the two angles of that. Oftentimes I feel like my job is cutting the umbilical cord, not tying it tighter. Because I believe is that we grow and we're differentiated when I'm next to. That's why me and Orit have such a strong relationship because you know, we each grow next to each other. I'm not blocking her. She's not blocking me. We're not married singles. We're not in parallel lines. Our lives are interdependent. But we are aiming for growth and helping each other grow. That's why, and I have an episode about this, about more. It's about wanting more. You want to find someone who's always going to want more from you. And more for, for a lot of us, and I know Chaya agrees with me, is more oftentimes we'll think more means I'm not good enough. But no, more means I want to see more sides of Chaya. I want to see more angles, more. I, I want to experience more of that human, that flawed, special creature that is called Chaya Hausman. Sorry, Rabbi Bernath, please continue. 
nothing to be sorry about. This is uh, fantastic. I, I, and I wonder how this kind of connects to what you're saying as far as versus the selfish love, like I need you versus the selfless love where you're part of me. You're like, it, it, the, the Torah says, that you should love another as you love yourself. Now, if we're not able to possibly, first of all, if we don't love ourselves, that's a different story. But let's say we do love ourselves more than anything else, because I think we all have this bias and we do love ourselves more than anything else. So how do I, you know, you're saying- I hope, I hope, I hope all of us, I hope you love yourselves more than anyone else. Rabbi Bernath will say, except for God, but like I teach my kids, I want them to hear who loves you the most, me. Why? And maybe this is egocentrical, but people will go into the crucible of change I always ask him, what are you going to get out of it? I don't think that is something bad. At the end of the day, when I close my eyes, I'm with myself and Hashem, if you want. But like that, we need to stop doing the altruistic. I am here for the other, the self-effacing. That is not, that is the victim triangle, which we'll do another whole talk just about that, Rabbi Bernath. But like that does not push you forward. Because if you are just serving others, I will rest in the grave, as we say in Israel. I don't. Need, I ate at home. I'll rest in the grave. I don't need to sleep. It, that's. It's just not ecological. You will not last, and then you become either a martyr or a victim, or the or both. What's a martyr? A victim. That's a savior. So I want to say, like, I don't know if it's selfless love, because I want to say it's fine to love yourself, and it's fine to me to love Olit. And I'm loving Olit because I love the way she makes me feel. I love the rapport that we have. I love the freedom that we have. I don't want to say that it's selfless because I think that then puts a lot of pressure on me to be an angel or to be someone perfect that I'm not. And then I start feeling guilt. And then I have to hide my hypocrisy and all those moments that I'm not selflessly loving Olit. And then that I need to hide because I know that's something wrong. And then I go into guilt. And then I go into shame. You know, arrow, 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 Brene Brown. Got it. But, but there, there must be some kind of love where you, you have a conditional love, where you simply, let's say, want your needs met. So if the person that you've chosen to love doesn't serve your needs, then you're just going to reject that person. And maybe, I'm, I'm just saying this, I'm just, as you say, I'm broadcasting live, that maybe it's beautiful for a time, but... I think what ends up happening is if you only base yourself on the selfish love, then it's a fleeting love. Because when the person you love wants help, you may give it, or you may not feel so charitable today, so you may not give it. And once the price becomes too high, once you feel that you're giving more than you're receiving, then you're going to stop loving them. So, all right, all right, wait. I'm getting the grenade ready to drop a bomb here. Are you ready, Rabbi Bernath? Why are Israelis so militant? Maybe because we're in a war zone. Maybe we're indoctrinated by... Never mind. That's a different talk. <laughs> I, I'm starting to realize there is no such thing as unconditional love. Boom. I said it. It's, it's on record. I know Mila agrees with me. I can see her smiling. Okay. What, why am I saying that? Because we all have the fantasy to go back to being unconditionally loved by our mamas. When we're a baby, we're unconditional love. But the reality is an adult egalitarian relationship, right? Even if I put the ring on, we always have a choice to leave. And I think this realization, me and Galita, about eight years ago, when we had our, our, one of our major, when we began our second marriage, was I realized, and she, and she helped me realize that she has an expectation for me to keep growing next to her. 
And it, it became clear to me that if I want her to keep loving me, I need to keep working. I need to keep developing and vice versa. And I think we need to start realizing that because we all have the fantasy, you know, why do men gain weight the second they start dating a woman? Because they're done, right? I got the woman. I don't have to work out anymore. Women love beer bellies on men. No, that's not true. But why? Because we're, ah, unconditional love. She'll love me, whatever. And then she, they wake up 20, 10 years later. Why did she leave me? Why? Because you stopped growing. Because you took, you, you, you took things for granted. I think that is the idea. And I, as much as I hate when Galit, my wife, sometimes mirrors that to me. And she says to me, like, I'm expecting growth here. Whether she says it explicitly or not. Like, yes. I mean, I don't like that because it ruins my fantasy. But I'm like, yes, I do. I want it. I want to grow. I want to be surrounded by people that want more from me. That are saying, yeah, this is, you're doing great. And I want to see more. Same thing with children. I think, I mean, obviously when the young one, give it to them unconditionally, but like, I think it's fine. And I, I, I this is so fascinating, Rabbi Bernathka is like, I, 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 we're meeting here on this, but like, yes, let's stop with this fantasy of selfless love, of unconditional love. That is a fantasy. That is really hard to maintain when the two people are flat. Maybe with God, maybe with Hashem, maybe with a creature that, with, with, that, with a being that is above us. Is there a way to go outside of yourself? Is there a way to go outside of your own needs? Yes, but that's the synergy. That is the synergy of, of being in play and potential state with another human. There are peaks of joy that I can only experience because at the end of the day, you're not created to be alone. In psychotherapy, we call this the relational self. There is no true self. My self is developing in relation to others from the day I'm born. So there is no self by itself. I can only be fully alive when I'm in a relationship with somebody else. I have mirror neurons. So if I'm telling you that I'm going to eat a lemon, if you all watch me eat a a sour lemon, your mouth will salivate because you have mirror neurons, because we're hardwired to connect, to feel things together. And when you're alone, Robinson Crusoe on an island, you are not getting activated because there's nothing, there's no feedback. So you can call it self, you can call it selfish, but at the end of the day, that is part of being alive. It's being in connection and being relationship. Yes, and that's what I'm aiming for. I'm aiming for to be alive, to be fulfilled, to feel all of my things. Like right now, this rush that I'm feeling, not only talking about Robert, I feel all of like we have 70 people here. I'm getting the energy. This is being alive. Who cares? Like all the books I read, all the 10,000 hours of therapy, all the struggles with my wife to have this moment and share this with Freddie Beltran. That's what it's about. I get to touch Freddie all the way over there on the other side of the world. Yes, Rabbi Bernas, please continue. Freddie, don't smile. You're very serious. I don't want you to smile. Ah, oh, there he is. There's good old Freddie. For those of you who have not noticed, if you put your video on, you're going to get heckled by Dr. Asael Romanelli. You can call it heckled or you can call this free love. But people are not used to because this is what play is. Play, I can flirt with Chaya, Erez, Aji, who's working on his doctorate. I don't know what he's doing there, but he's very serious. I love it. I love it. You see, but that what it's about why are we so scared we're scared of being hurt but if you don't try we will be alone do you think that covid's accentuated all this because we're not getting that 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 connection that we're used to i mean look at us here i mean we're we're getting used to this zoom thing but has covid created another dimension of this relational element so i think there was a study like 56 years ago where they fed babies everything but they just didn't touch them they didn't hold them and the babies died so we need physical touch, emotional touch. That is a fact. I think what's happening with COVID, what's interesting because North America is more repressed anyways, and you're way too PC, you apologize for everything. So I think even that 
is is you already started from that point, but I think COVID sends you even more into the more sterile PC self-presentation, protected, shtickless facade, as we say in French. And that is just killing. That is just killing. That's, that's causing deep depression and loneliness. And the people think that's the default. And we have generations here that do not have the social skills. We're basically becoming millennials. You all are reverbing back to being millennials where everything's in front of a screen. And that's the problem because when there's a screen, I can't do ruptures and repairs. I can't correct those little, those little idiosyncratic misses that we have. I can't. And then I, t- I reach out to Hannah, but it's too late because she's already on an email and I missed that moment and we missed that eye contact. So it's slowly like separating us apart. I mean, it, we, we can still maintain it. I mean, I do have interactions. I, I even do therapy on Zoom and we have those moments, but I know it would be much more intense and visceral if yeah. it was face-to-face. I'm trying, I'm, tr- I'm just going to broadcast live because this Please is I'm trying to change my, you know, I'm, I'm trying to learn and grow from this experience as well with you. And my thought is, if I'm in conflict with myself, if someone's in conflict with themselves, can you- Who isn't? Who isn't? When you're in conflict with yourself. When you're in conflict with yourself, can you expect to reach a comfortable love with someone else? You, you want to feel productively uncomfortable. There is no comfortable. There's two cycles. There's no growth in the comfort zone and there's no comfort in the growth zone. You want to find a balance. Some of us are too hard on ourselves like me. I always want to be in growth zone, but that's not realistic. You want to find a balance. Comfort, 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 growth, comfort, 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 growth. So of course I'm going to be uncomfortable with myself. There's always more shtick to be owned. There's always another layer, another thing I haven't confessed. Another ugly, shameful part of myself I've never said to anyone. But that's the whole growth. That's what I want to do. If, if I would have peaked now, I always, my wife always reminds me of this when I get jealous of other people that are more successful and more famous or, or like a lot of peers that already know what they're going to do with their lives and they've peaked. She's like, would you want to peak at 42? Would you want to peak? You know, those kids that peak in high school, they were like the jock or the, the cheerleader. And then that's it. And that's like Al Bundy from Meredith Children. I don't know if that was big in Canada, but like, so like, thank God I have more to grow. But even if I don't become the world's most famous therapist, but like, at least I'm going to be discovering more shades of myself. And I think at the end of the day, I'll, I'll, I'll never feel 100% loving to myself. I'm never going to 100% accept myself. That's, I'm just accepting that for now. I mean, maybe in five years I will, but as of now, I'm no, I'm, I'm guilt-ridden, I'm shame-ridden. I'm angry, I'm jealous, I'm sexual, I'm scared. But the fact that I can even say this to a bunch of 70 strangers just, once again, liberates me, liberates me. It's like coming out again and again and again. And the more I come out, come out of with my truth, come out with my shtick, it just liberates me because then I don't have to hide from Brian anymore. And then Brian feels that me and him are same. He sees that I'm flawed and then we can be more egalitarian because most of us, we either go one up or one down. One up means I'm better than the other person. I'm preaching to the other person. I'm lecturing to the other person. Like somebody always calls me, we call it Dr. Romanelli mode. <laughs> he calls me Dr. Romanelli. I know she's, she's doing a one up or one down with me. Or we have the one down where I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry. But at the end of the day, by owning my shtick, by broadcasting live, by bringing it, bringing it, bringing it, it's just liberating me because I don't have to pretend to be something that I'm not. Even now, I'm supposed to be a world-renowned therapist, which I am. But I don't want to do that. I want to be real with you, with all my friends in Montreal. And all over, not just Montreal. And all over the world. The, the millions that are watching us right now, yes. <laughs> but, but, so, and I, I'm hearing about the play, and I'm hearing about the owning your shtick, and I'm hearing about 
the different stages and different sides of ourselves. What's the secret? What's the secret of a long lasting relationship? You know, if, if the key to a successful marriage is, let's say, appreciating that we're either going to go up or down and we can't stay plateau and there's going to be different shades of ourselves, then what's the secret? I'll go back to the model. Like the secret to building and maintaining uh, uh, thriving, growing, changing. Then the reason the book is called How to Stay Married to the Same Person because Estelle Perel says we will all be married more than once. The question is the person. We're, not, we're different people. And I wish for all of us relationships that keep evolving and developing. You want to keep your yourself active and just like you want to be physically active, you want to be emotionally, spiritually, you want to keep growing, own your shtick, let it land, say the thing. Own your shtick, let it land, say the thing. Own your shtick. Like the more you'll do that, what you'll be doing is not only changing the relationships you have, but hey, I'm going to, the tax you'll pay that some relationships might end. Some people that like you with the facade that you had up until now, that might end and you need to realize that. Might quite possibly might also be your marriage. But at the end of the day, why are we afraid? Why are we staying in, in self-presentation facades that are not correct for us? Well, let's grow. Let's take that risk because at the end of the day, we don't have time. We're about to come back as an Ikea table for $9.99 Canadian. So let's, let's maximize the time we have right now. So the, that, that it for me is up for, for, as of now, that is the recipe I found to keep it fresh, to keep it growing. Because at the end of the day, it's about wanting more. It's about wanting to experience more. And not from the materialistic more. I want a bigger house. I just want to feel more. I want to experience more. I want to bring more sides of myself. Right. I, I would say from a Jewish perspective that two people who love and care for each other, they need a higher vision. They need a shared vision. They need something that's going to connect them eternally. You need a bond that besides there's two strangers with different personalities, with different backgrounds, that we by nature in a relationship are biologically, we're emotionally, we're psychologically different. And we're going to go through those transitions in our lives. But if we do, I think it's more important of having a shared goal, a shared vision than a shared source of origin. Yes. I will agree with that. I will say the meaning, we are all just a variation of the generation before us. We find people that are close enough that can recreate our childhood wounds and replicate what we saw at home, but different enough that we can heal ourselves. So at the end of the day, I am, I'm all of you and everyone in my life, including my wife and my kids, are, act, are, are antagonists in the positive way in my drama, in my stage of my life. And basically what I'm trying to do is grow. So if I can find someone who also wants to grow who wants to experience more of themselves. If we have shared, I don't know if their vision is going to be, if we want to go to the same place, but we both want to grow. And I think that's what I'd want to say. But and when I meet a couple out. Or grow in different space. I mean, there's people, let's say, I mean, obviously growing religiously, they can be growing apart religiously. They can be growing uh, apart uh, professionally, uh, emotionally. So it, it, there needs to be some kind of shared space, right? I think this is the thing. I think a lot of people think marriage is the backdrop for my life. And their highest ideal is, I just want to quiet. I don't want to fight. And I want to watch Netflix with that person. But they get it wrong. Marriage or a committed long-term relationship is a crucible where we grow and learn and develop. We die and we're reborn. We develop in that. 
That's the most fascinating place where you can grow. Most people are not therapists, so they don't get to spend their lives seeing people at extreme moments and reflecting on their own life. Most of you have other day jobs. So marriage can be the place, it's not the backdrop of your life, it's the forefront where you grow. So I think what I want to say is like, it's not about growing apart or in parallel lives. It's about, I want to grow with you because something in you challenges me. Something in you makes me want to grow. And I also know, and the unconditional love, I know that this might end one day. And I told this to Galit, one of the reasons we moved to Kfal Saba is Galit wanted more out of life. She was done with Jerusalem. I never wanted to leave Jerusalem because I am scared. Okay, because I'm a hoarder and I'm scared. But she wanted to, she wanted more of life. And I, for four years, I said, no, 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 no. And then I realized, you know what? I don't want her to blame me that she didn't fulfill herself in this lifetime. And I turned around and said, Galit, we're moving. We're selling our house. By the way, I've never been to, I've been like to Falaba four times before I sold my house and bought it. I bought a house in a city I've been to four times my whole life. Okay. Maybe for Canadians, it's not a big deal, but for Israelis, it's a huge deal. But what I wanted to say is because I realized, I said to her, Galit, you have one life, you live it. I'm happy to be with you. I don't want to be the person that stops you. I want you to keep growing. I'm happy to be next to you. But I know, and I'm, I, I, this might sound not romantic, but like I know that there's going to be a chance that maybe somewhere down the line, she'll want more and I won't be able to give it to her. Now, I don't have to fulfill all of Galit's needs. But at the end of the day, because I'll say this to my couples, my job as a couples therapist is not to keep couples together. My, my calling, or this is what I also write on my website, my job is to help couples be more differentiated, which means be more of themselves and more intimate, where they don't have to choose the either or. Whether it's, to, I, I wish it'll be for you guys together, but even if it's not and you guys, and you go into your next marriage, I, I wish for you to be more yourself. Because at the end of the day, that's what differentiation is. It's being yourself and being close to someone else that's important to you. So it's not going, not going to the attachment part of I'll, I'll self-efface myself so you'll love me and not go to the other extreme, which is just about me and you screw you. It's my way or the highway, as a woman told me today next to her partner. It's a, finding both. Gam vegam, elu elu, these and these, it's together. And I think that either or, what I call the idors, right? It's from idors to yes ands, as we say in improvisation, or gam vegam, and also... And that is, I think, uh, I don't even remember your question, but that's just where my stream of consciousness went. I, I'm, I'm listening to you and, and I see there's a certain element of trust that is created between you and Galit in this experience and in moving. And obviously it's something that's really on your mind now, which is why you're talking about it. And I always have said this, that, that marriage, the most important element of a long lasting relationship is trust, but trust takes years. It takes years and years to build. So... Um, if you're going to have a solid foundation that's built on trust, how do you, what are the steps that people can take now to be able to get to the point where seven, eight years down the road in a serious relationship and a marriage that they're able to create that trust to the point where you were never there, but she knew it was right. And, and whether, whether or not you agree with the choice that was made, you, like you said, you're going alongside with her because you trust her. So, so this is, thank you for asking, because I work a lot with single people, with singles, and I got to work with a couple that got shidduched, like a kind of a TV show, like Marriage at First Sight, but it wasn't on TV. It was like called uh, Relationship at First Sight. And I said, I want to help you guys. Um, I'm going to give you guys the tools right now, two strangers, how to create that. And what we did is we wrote on the board all the things why they're disqualifying the other. She, uh, he's divorced and has a son she's too short we wrote all the lists from the external to the internal we just put it all on the board 
And I said to them like this, I said them exactly what I said to you. I said, let's start this off. This is a good way also to wean off whether the person's right for you or not. You, you own your shtick, you share it in a playful way. It's not a heavy. And the second we wrote it on the board, I see I always have a whiteboard behind me in the clinic. We moved on. We put that on the board. You, and this is what I tell people. The best way to know if the person you're dating or seeing, you have another evolution with them. Okay, Carolina, you're listening to me. I know you're driving, but listen to me. This is important is from the first date onward, you, you broadcast live. You share what's happening in your mind. For instance, uh, I see you're only talking about yourself. I, it's really, I've been sitting here for 20 minutes. You haven't asked me once what I do. I'm wondering, is that because I'm not interesting or just because you're not listening to me? Okay, like that kind of stuff. Now, obviously, you'll find in your own Canadian repressed PC, overly PC way to say it. But at the end of the day, let's find out if the person, if the person across from you isn't, I call this the holy trinity of blocking. I don't know if that's, okay to do a Christian reference on a Chabad show, but I'll do it, which is being insulted, surprised, or disappointed. The second your partner does these over and over again, you know that they can't step up to the heat. And basically what you do, you broadcast live, you own your shtick. And then what's going to happen is very quickly, you're going to see, can this person deal with you? Can they roll? Can they roll with the punches? Can they be honest? And if so, move on, like keep going. Yeah. But if you see that you have to start eggshelling now, some of you are going to say, well, it's the first date, da, 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 da. So you're right. So obviously in the first date, I'm not going to own my deepest shtick. But if I can't on a first date, like share a little bit more from behind the facade, then I'm going to be locked in the self-presentation. And how many of us have dated maintaining a lie that I said on the first date, but I'm too embarrassed to actually tell her the truth that, you know, complete, complete in the fill in the blanks, whatever little lie you did. Why do that? Why do that? And our first date, Galit said to me, listen, if it's not going to work, I'm just going to call you. Let's not do another date if I need to dump you. And I said, you know, why even dump me? Just write me a text. Just write cheesecake. Boom, it's done. So see, just that, just owning that. That was like a little bit of own your shtick. Like, let's just put that on the table. Easier said than done, I know. And I, and I work with singles all the time. And very quickly, and a lot of times they get burnt. And it's true. But you know what? At least they gave it a shot. At least they're, they're showing up and they're giving it a shot. Because if not... Because I'm reminding you, self-presentation breeds self-presentation. Facade breeds facade. Fakeness breeds fakeness. So don't complain you're meeting shallow, self-centered men if you're presenting a, a two, two-dimensional figure of yourself. If you're doing with the push-up and the thing and everything and you're not, and you're basically coming up as something you're not, then what are you expecting? Of course you're going to be getting the same thing back. That's how you created it. I mean, there's only one way, but at the end of the day, and I want to go back to what Rabbi Yosh asked about, how do you, how do you teach play? Because I feel like all my background in, in theater improvisation, improv is basically, if you, if you see improv as play, not as game, it is the blueprint, it's the guideline to increase more play, to live this um, spontaneous free way. And that's going to be a different workshop we'll do. But I just wanted to share that. I have no idea again what the question was, but I'm just enjoying and I'm passionate about this. Thank you. I don't remember any of the questions. That's good. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to be honest with you about something. Uh-oh. I'm not really a marine biologist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or you know the thing where you forgot to ask their name, but it's too late and you're like, have to find different ways to ask what her name is on the date or what his name is. <laughs> Why just say, listen, I forgot your name. I just forgot it. Sorry. Sorry, like this is another thing. Here's another play tip. Here you go, sorry. 
like, or sometimes, and, or sometimes we'll do like a little thought bubble, like, Ooh, I wonder what Hannah's thinking about, but you see, I'm doing it, but I'm not asking her. Okay. I'm just showing her the thought bubble and then I'm sharing it. And then she has the freedom if she wants to react to that or not. But here's a quick way of owning my shtick and not confronting Hannah with it. It's not heavy. And I was like, blah, 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 blah. I wonder what Hannah's thinking about. And then I closed the bubble. I want to go to the next phase of our discussion and, for yeah. those of you who have come to these sessions with me before, you know this is the most fun and the most exciting and most spontaneous. As if the past hour wasn't spontaneous <laughs> enough for you. This has it been an hour? Oh my God, this has been like two minutes. This has been like two minutes. Go on. You must like hearing yourself talk. So, uh, what can I say? I'm a narcissist, but I'm owning my shtick, so that's fine. So, um, we have a lot of questions that have come in. We said that the questions that came in before, Today's talk, we would give uh, we would give priority to, and obviously people are writing a lot of questions publicly in the comments. So I'm going to go through some of these questions. Um, some uh, of them, one what? second, you scroll. Yes. You, uh, which questions are giving priority? I'm going to give. I'm giving first priority to the questions that came in before, and then we're going to. Oh, wait, 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 but wait, wait, wait. But I'm thinking about what if those people that ask are not in here? Let's. I think we just prioritize the people that are here yeah. now. Right. Yeah. I agree. Who are here, and then we'll go to the other questions. Very good. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. I will, I will also. I'm going to go back and forth because I know some of the people who are here right now, and I know who asked the question. So if they're here right now, I'm going to make sure to. Um, to I'm going to go back and forth between. That is very considerate of you, Rabbi Bernath. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so some of them are directed at you. Some of them directed at me. Some of them directed at both of us. So let's let's have a good time here. We now open our question and answer period. For those of you who haven't had a chance to ask, ask. We're going to try to go through as many as we can in the next hour. And this is going to be a little more rapid fire. Let's, let's give a, like, maybe uh, at most two minutes uh, a, a question. Okay, so this is a little more rapid fire so that way we can get through. We've got about already about 30 questions. So, um, oh, wow. Wow, yeah. that's fun. So let's get started. Let's um, do it. When you're dating, how do you share your shtick? Or own your shtick. I guess they're saying own your shtick when you're dating. No, the so, question is when. When do you dare? Oh, when, when do you dare to share your shtick when you're dating? I, I want to even take it a little further, and that is somehow people think that dating is a game. So maybe the own your shtick element or the share your shtick element um, kind of feeds into this preconceived idea that dating is supposed to be a game. When do you do that while you're dating? So that's really interesting because I think, you know, in the stage you call being a player, you're being a player, you're playing the field. I want to reclaim plays. Yeah, be a player. See, this is play, not as game. I mean, at the end of the day, I know it's marriage and will this person be my, but at the end of the day, you're only now. So play, play. When to start owning your shtick from the moment you begin the date. That's what it's about. Now, for that, you need to first, before you can share your shtick, you got to own your shtick. You need to be aware of what's happening. And for that, you need to stop faking it and keep me, you know, I don't know how to say this in English, to make yourself innocent. How do you say that in English? Innocent yeah. yourself to like, yeah. huh? I have no aggression. I have no sexuality. I'm never horny. I'm never angry. I never belittle men. I never castrate men. If they dare to say something that I don't like, of course you do. So own it. First of all, own it to yourself. And then as the day progresses, you don't land with your biggest shtick. But the little things, like, why is Hirsch Quinker? Where's, her, where's the rest of his body? Is that a man or a woman? I just see a leg. There's like a leg. Oh, hello. Like, that's a little in your shtick. I just know it. I don't, I'm playful. I'm not insulted. I mean, I love his legs. I, I'd love, I would die for his legs. 
But for now, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just like, I think it's like, if you start doing that, this is what's going to happen. It's like, just, I just thought oversharing. What does oversharing mean? Do you want to attract people that you'll be able to play with? Hopefully for the next 50 years. Right. So yes. So there's, there's going to be that uptightness, but after a while, there'll be that softening. And if there isn't, move on. If I need to be eggshelling, like, why would I waste my life eggshelling? Why? I ha- I'm eggshelling in front of the lawyer, in front of the police officer, in front of my rabbi. But why would I want to do that in my own house? That is enough with that. Enough. Yeah, so El, my wife just reminded me of a little story. I'm sorry, well, I'm not sorry to jump in, all of that. Or she's she said, not sorry. He's not sorry to jump I'm in. Not yeah, sorry. Jump in. My, yeah, my wife is listening and she said, we never shared our shtick. And I said, what do you mean? On our, she, she always tells people the story. On our first date, I put my head down and went to sleep in the middle of the date. There we go. And I was late. For, no, I was late for just about every date. And I didn't hide it. Uh, I, I wasn't hiding it. That's who I am. You know, I was late. So, and it, we worked out. We're, we're still married. So marry him. Wow. <laughs> but what I do want to say about that, I, 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 but I want to actually drop it. Like, that's the way it is. I think adding a little bit of play for it is also saying to also Gali, like, if, if, but I'm also open to accept influence. And like, if that thing's going to, like, for instance, when I wash my face, I go like this. I bring the hands to the face and not the face to the hands. And therefore, there's a lot of water spritzing all over. Like, when I wash my face, the whole, the whole bathroom is soaking. I know this drives her crazy. So I'm one, so it's like I'm owning my shtick and saying, sorry, but at the end of the day, I will try to make an effort to bring my face to the hands. Not the same thing. Please, next question. Um, to enter an intimate relationship, it's better to be individuated or, or I guess, plurally. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, part of, I mean, the Oracle of Delphi said, know thyself. No, I want to add, know thy shadow, because we all know our light, our strength for us, or that's at least what we bring. But, but why, why don't, let's ask the other question. Why don't we know ourselves? Because, because we grew up with, an, with, we all have the sense that we're not good enough, we're not lovable enough, that we're flawed. And we're taught, or somehow we, we learn that from a young age, I need to hide my faults. So I don't even know my shadow. Most people that sit in front of me in the clinic, they're, they're like, what are you talking about? When it's obvious, like, I can feel it, but they've never owned it. So the first part is knowing your own shadow. And if you need help with that, find a, a friend, colleague, partner, therapist, rabbi, anyone who's willing to be an Ezer Kenegdech, which is what rabbis love to say. Like, what's your definition of Ezer Kenegdech these days? Rabbi Bernath, give it to me, the one, the one sentence, Ezer Kenegdech or Kenegdech. A helpmate against you. How would you, def- what's your one-liner for that? Let me ask you, Rabbi Bernath. I don't have a one-liner for that. But what I do say is that you have to find someone who's going to challenge you, someone who's not going to take the status quo. So, you know, Rabbi Yosha always says, and I really like this, that there's two types of people that you can get into a relationship with. Someone who says, yes, you're amazing, you're wonderful, you're great. Or someone who's challenging you and helping you grow and helping you become a better person. So there's one more type of person who's the one who always minimizes you and, and belittles you and says you're not good enough. Okay, well, so the, uh, those two extremes you want to watch out. You want someone to say, yes, I like what we're doing, but I want, and I want more. It's the yes and, but more, more. Because a lot of times we belittle, because we're insecure, we belittle the people next to us. And that's another podcast episode. I call that the 95-70 rule, but we don't have time to talk about that. Next question. Teaser, teaser. Let's move on. Um, so if men are good at dating and they don't make good husbands, if, if, sorry, if the players, the men that are good at dating don't make good husbands, <laughs> what makes a good husband? 
Well, again, let's reclaim players. If you're having fun, if you can own your shtick with a, with a guy or a girl, it doesn't really matter. Why do I say guy and girl, guy and woman? Enough with belittling women and calling them girls. Enough of that. Shame on me. So what is a good dater? Good dater is somebody who can bullshit. Sorry, bullshtick, bullshtick you. Let's change the, the name. What's somebody I can be playful, somebody I can be myself, somebody I don't have to hold in my belly and lie that I ate before we went on the restaurant, which is anyways not true. Yeah, someone I can eat the salad with and there's a lettuce stuck between my teeth and he'll laugh. That's a good dater. And if that's a good dater, if you can find self-exposing, not self-exposing, I know that's like, not, not that kind of, like self-exposuring, playful, owning your shtick, partner, jump on him. That's going to be someone you're going to have to play. Because wait, you're going to have cellulite, whether you're not. You're going to lose your hair. Man, it's going to go to your backs. Anyways, it's just a matter of time. But to have to be playful, to be engaged, to be growing, that's never going to change. And I think we need to realize that. So I'd like to change the, the criteria from he's too tall, she's too thin, whatever, she's too thin. <laughs> when have you ever heard a man say that? But like to change it from that to be, can I be myself? Can I put my head down and will she be okay with that? Will she laugh or will she be offended? Like if she laughs, if she can breathe next to that, if she can go, let's keep going and you're bringing your shtick, they're, they're a keeper. I mean, everything that is good about dating is exactly the opposite of what we need to be good part, marriage partners, right? So I think that we have to know that people who are really, really good at dating, they're probably not going to be really good marriage partners. Well, again, what do you define as a good dater? I feel like, is it this? Is it this? Like, yeah, if I've done it 3,000 times, I'm in self-presentation, but that's not good dating. You know, I had a peak of dating and dating, and then I realized something's not working. And I said, I'm going to do everything the opposite. I'm going to do everything opposite of, when, you know, the peak of my loneliness as a, as, a single, as a single man. And I just realized I want to stop doing the business card, wowing them with all my achievements. It's not interesting because then we're just going to self-presentation. So, like, if we reframe dating as a play, it's not a game, it's play. And you're looking for, it's a play date. Let's just call it play date instead of soul meat, instead of whatever, call it a play date. Like two kids that come to play. We're just sussing each other out. Do you play Brawl Stars? I play Brawl Stars. What's your favorite character? Yeah, that's what it's about. It's a play date. That is an action insight. Copyright, trademark, boom. I remember when uh, I was first dating Sarah, I, 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 you know, my first date, I was like going through all the achievements and everything I'd done and she just didn't care. And I was like, Wow. Somebody who I met who really doesn't care about my achievements. This is great. That's right. Can she see beyond the facade? Can she see beyond? That's all we want. We all are yearning for someone who can see beyond, who wants to yeah. see beyond. But they, they'll only be able to see beyond if you can see beyond and if you dare to bring that forward. Yeah. That's why, for instance, Sheila Pleat is putting his whole living room on a display. <laughs> we can see everything. He's holding nothing back. I love that about him. His, his living room and his mouth are similar. His screen and his life are the same. Next question. <laughs> um, okay, here's a Kabbalah. So um, doesn't Kabbalah say that love is giving part of yourself to the other? Because we ultimately love ourselves the more we give of ourselves or the more we love our partner. You're the Kabbalah king. I will then give a different... Uh, different dimension of that. Please. Why don't you give it? The, why don't you start? And I'll I'll, I'll pick it up. From so I don't know much about Kabbalah, but I will say that Alfred Adler in the book The Meaning of Life: What Life Should Mean to You. He says the meaning of life is to give to others. Okay, that's beautiful. That's altruistic. But I want to give it my narcissist, egocentrical spin on that. 
I feel alive when I'm in relationship, right? I want to reach a win-win situation. Like right now, it's a win-win, right? I get to spit out my Torah. I'm flying high. This is hopefully serving a little bit of you. I'm offering free love. I'm offering free love. Anyone can get it. So it's a win-win. So I think at the end of the day, when I'm, if I can achieve a state where I'm fulfilling myself and also giving to Galit and Galit is fulfilling herself and giving to me and we're doing this side by side, sometimes parallel, sometimes to each other, sometimes with each other, sometimes against each other. That's also legit. Let's own that shtick. That's called normal marital sadism. You always hurt the ones you love. Hashtag, that's going to be a different discussion. So, so yeah, like I'm feeling alive when I'm giving to the other, but when I'm giving to the other, as long as I can also feel myself giving. If I'm lying on the floor and they're stepping on my back, is that really fulfillment? No. But if we're both holding hands or if I'm pushing Galit up, but I can also feel my arm pushing, I can feel that I'm meaningful because I'm get, letting her go higher. Then I'm feeling myself alive and I'm giving her. Yeah. Kabbalah, by the way, in Hebrew, just I'm going to say that in Hebrew, Kabbalah is a receipt. It's a receipt for something you have done. That's an action insight. I never thought about that until now. Boom. Bring it, take it away. Kabbalah King. Do this all day, all day. I'm loving it. I hope Sorry. some of you are enjoying this. I hope so. I, I hope that we're not just like. Uh, <laughs> uh, I hope that tell us if you're enjoying this, please. Um, if you're, no, we have a snake. If you're enjoying, if you don't enjoy it, tell us. If you enjoy it, tell your friends. Exactly. That's how we say it. <laughs> no, but I, usually, if they don't enjoy it, they say something. But uh, <laughs> or or they just leave it. Leave. Yeah. The exactly. They're, 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 they'll vote with their feet and just leave. <laughs> I know, it's true. You can't unmute yourself and you're being censored. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> um, it's a play date. It's a play date. Yeah. Me and Robin Rodas, we're in a play date and you're all invited. And you know what's fun when you're at a play date? There's free love. Free love. Because when you're in a play space, you're generous because it's, it's a mentality of abundance. Right when we're in left, when we're in reality, I'm I'm cheap. I'm 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 comparing and get jealous. But when I'm in a play state, I have so much love to give. Even Simone, I can't even see her, but that, that pink, that pink screen is just giving me that. So like that, that's what it's about. It's fun to be in a play state. Sorry, back to you, Kabbalah King. <laughs> I don't like being called Kabbalah King, but that's okay. By the way, we do this a lot. We often have these conversations because because Dr. Romanelli in Israel and I'm in Montreal. So we leave each other voice notes, these long winded voice notes. Yeah. And usually it's in the middle of the night for me. And then like, so there'll be a couple hours difference. And usually we go off on, oh, some of the most random things. Um, yes. So I think that when it comes to loving another, we said this before, and I like taking this from you, uh, Asael, and that is, this differentiation, it's the ability to also be yourself, to, 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 to be, to be the person that you want to be, and then to also be in a relationship. And that's very hard because so often we get enmeshed in our relationships or we become completely uh, uh, disconnected. And, you know, and, and especially when you're single, there's this fine balance between being you know, in totally in totally, totally vulnerable and then single. And it becomes very black and white. And I don't think it's so black and white. It, there's a lot of gray area. There needs to be a little bit of vulnerability. It's not a game, but there needs to be a little bit of vulnerability. But also at the same time, there needs to be some way of starting and creating that connection. 
And that's really, really difficult. It's a very difficult balance if you're not already in a relationship for a long time. Well, let me jump on that. Like you practice play, not just with Mr. X, Mr. Wright. You practice play all the time with Freddie Beltran, with Stephen Conroy. Like the second you're more playful during your day than when I go on a date, it's not like I need to put my dating back to being good at dating. If I'm playful, if I can own that, if I can slow, it's a muscle, just like listening is a muscle. Just like riding a bicycle is a muscle, right, Devora? I don't know where she is. She's, maybe she's in the beach, but it's very windy over there. But if you practice play, then yes, I'll be playing with Shoshana Stern. And then I'm going to go on a play date with this other woman. And it might work and it might not. But you know what? This is showing up. So we're so afraid of being hurt. So we're not even showing up. And I know as we get older, we're more and more protected and we're more and more scared. I get it. But I'm reminding you, we can find play not in just dating. And if you choose to, if you want to live that life, if you want to step down that path, the crucible, path of play, you will begin with your family, with your siblings, with your parents. Why do you constantly shuffle? You're like a rabbi. You go back and forth in the camera. I can't stand it. I know. I, I hate those shufflers, huh? Because I'm feeling it. I'm channeling. I'm channeling the Kabbalah. I'm like, I'm like Neil from Matrix. Now I know Kabbalah. I never studied, but like I know it after a minute. <laughs> I know Kabbalah. Why? Because you're shuffling? I'm shuffling because movement, because we are not meant we are not meant to sit. No, my, my, I want to say this for a second. My physiotherapist says to me, we're not supposed to sit all day. We're not supposed to stand as it. We're supposed to move. Movement. Movement. If you're to do that, you need to do with the and now you have to sing with a sing song. Yeah, I, I do that. <laughs> it drives me absolutely crazy. Oh. I hope this is relevant for other oh. people. Yes, I hope so also. Um, okay, here's the next question this is from a married couple. Oh, what do you do with a spouse that dislikes their physical appearance and often puts themselves down about it? Great. First of all, have an open conversation about it. Stop cheering them on and lying to them. If they really their body is out of shape, then it, you don't have to be angry about it. You can say, I see that. What do you want to do about that? How can we do that? Do you want me to cheer you up? Oh, How can on. I? Someone's going to like that? Guys, it's not about being liked. It's about being authentically playful. It's about playing responsibly. Play and, and own your own your shtick together. I, I, I thought someone said you're always supposed to say that you look great in that. Isn't that the rule? Right, but then here's the thing. So I'm so I'm basically self-presentationing it. I'm kind of lying to my partner. She somehow knows it, but we both can't own it. And you know what? I want to share an example from last week. Somebody asked me about EMDR and play. I just happened to work with a couple that he... EMDR? EMDR is the most common uh, way of treating PTSD in the world. What is and I'm working PTSD post, post, okay, sorry, post, post-trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder. And basically he was abused as a young child and they're married now, obviously have problems with sex, obviously, right? And what was really interesting that he finally shared after a long process, obviously infused with play, he could say to her, one of the reasons, uh, and this might be very blunt, I hope this is not too PC for, the, for a Chabad show, but she said, like, one of the reasons I don't want to be intimate with you is because you're overweight. Now, she knew that, and they've talked about it thousands of times, but it was the first time they talked about it from a playful space and not as part of a fight or acting it out. Because uh-huh. those are the two things you want to watch out for. Acting it out means I'm not going to tell you, I'm just going to act, I'm going to behave it. I'm going to avoid you, I'm going to mock you, I'm going to ridicule you. And the other time I'll say it is when I'm angry at you. So I, I call this, I, I shoot, uh, I like, I, 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 you know, I, I, I'm like, I'm like spitting it out. But at the end of the day, our partners know more 
then we want to say, they can feel us, they live with us, they see it. So let's talk about it. If you have a problem with the way your body images, let's talk about it. And how do, I can't save you. I can't help you from that. I love you and I'm happy to see you grow. And if you want to work on that, I'm right by you. But like, what do you want? And I think that's the thing. Because like, sometimes I just want to hear that I'm amazing. So fine, ask for that. Enough of this, I'm fat in this dress. And while you're hinting, you want to hear a compliment. It's fine to say, I just want a compliment. I've had a really bad day. But at the end of the day, by, by ignoring it, by doing this thing, it's like sometimes like you're just enabling this thing. Because a lot of times, by the way, and this is, by the way, that same woman that was overweight, she said to me, um, I've been trying to lose weight for years. And I said, have you ever looked at your shadow on that? And she's like, what shadow? And then I said this, what are your secondary gains from being overweight? And people, this is a blind spot that people always see. There's always a secondary gain from whatever you're doing right now. Wow. And we made a list on, the, on this whiteboard of what is she gaining from that? Now, I, I, it's not a miracle. It's not like she, she lost, you know, 30 pounds afterwards. But that was the beginning of her stopping to, to stop to see herself as a victim, start owning it, realizing it, and doing this next to her partner, not in individual therapy, next to her partner. And from there, we can keep on going. And then there's movement. And by the way, when he said that to her, she wasn't offended. She didn't do the Holy Trinity of blocking. She wasn't offended, surprised, or disappointed. She says, I know, I know. And I also want to work on this. And then he will say, how can I help you with this? And then she said to him, this is not on you. Wow. And they stayed in that space. Again, it didn't heal. It didn't change everything. But that, for me, that is, that is, that is moments. I'm going to say a word here that I don't often say of holiness, of sacred sacredness and i think that is something and i just i just somebody said to me that um, there's a connection between where did i just read this where did i just read this yes 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 i don't remember but anyways um that this woman said that her priest says that um sacred is connected to sacrifice ah, that sacrifice is connected to sacred and when people make sacrifices when people own their shit shtick when people are willing to go to a vulnerable place for me that is a sacred space and that's why i get a front seat five days a week to see people, to see sacred, to see holiness. And if you can, if you're lucky enough to have one moment of that a day, one moment of that a month, a week, that is when you're going to be high. That is the ecstasy to have a real moment, a real connection, because that's what we're lacking. We're full of false. And like, that is what we, that is the drug that I wish we could all have access to. And you can, if you dare. Wow. It's funny because I think that there's a lot of people who victimize or they themselves in their relationships, they want up or they want down. It's very common. It's a very easy way to be in a relationship, to feel like you're needed or being needy. And when I hear it from your perspective, it's true. It just doesn't make any sense, but you have to hear it. You have to be able to, to realize that this is the reality of the situation and what we do. And we almost like self-sabotage ourselves so many times when it comes to some of these very basic issues in relationships and we're like well how did that happen you know we're also we're the common denominator we're not outside of the relationship so many of us and i sometimes see this where you know you you think you're in the relationship but you literally you literally think of yourself as a bystander in your own relationship and you're not in the relationship you're just looking at your own relationship from outside of it so I want to say one thing about that because I'm realizing that a lot of our participants are women. I think what I'm noticing again and again, um, Terry Real talks about psychological patriarchy that we all go through. We basically 
um, castrate men and castrate women. Men have to let go of the relational. We become all macho and we have to lose the relational sensitivity. And we castrate women from their, their aggressiveness. And then what happens is I often meet women who are locked either as victims or as saviors. And because they're not owning their shadow, which is their, the persecutor, which is their aggression, they find themselves again and again in this victim-martyr role. And then they get conditioned. And that's my job as, as the partner to, to reinforce you and, and make you feel good and make you feel strong. That is locking into the old psychological patriarchy that will not empower you. I'll send you guys an episode of about female. And this is my version. My version of female empowerment is for women to own their shtick and stop seeing themselves as victims. Now, I do want to own that there is such a thing called patriarchy. But I think, but even in, like, I just feel like sometimes in that space, it won't help you by saying you look great dear. You look great dear. It's like, why are you having this issue? Let's talk about this. Let's stop running away from that. Because anyways, I'm throwing you the self-presentation pseudo false encouragement that we both don't believe. Why? Let's help you face yourself. Let's do it. I want to just uh, pause a moment and tell you right now, while you're here and while you're in this moment, go onto Google Play or onto iTunes and subscribe to Potential State. It's Dr. Romanelli's podcast. And it's unbelievable. He shares everything. I mean, I've never, ever, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts on relationships. I've never listened to a podcast like this where he just literally takes each episode and shares something very profound about relationships. And so it's on Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, it's going to be there. It's called Potential State, Enriching Relationships. And, uh... Let's go on to the next question. Yeah, Yisrael, if you don't mind, I, there's a question I just received privately. I want to push this one to the top because I think it's something that so many people are dealing with, and it's like a very important question. And I just want—I really—I want to hear uh, Dr. Romanelli's perspective on this, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, the question is: Can people who are still in the middle of dealing with healing their trauma get into and have a good relationship? How and when do you disclose that when you're dating? We are all dealing with trauma. Being alive means being in pain. You are born through trauma unless you were born with a doula in a pool full of singing lilies. Enough with this. Enough with this trauma. And that's because I can't be happy. We all have traumas. We have passive abuse. We have, we have active abuse. I think it's not... The opposite of play is not work or seriousness. The opposite of play is depression. You can be playful and full of trauma. Okay. I, how do I know? Cause I'm full of trauma. Okay. I think for a lot of us it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you know, like, I don't, I'm not really sure if I understood exactly what the question was. That's very masculine of me. I'm mansplaining, but I am going to go in a stream of consciousness right now and say that you can be in trauma and still be playful. I mean, if you're in a survival mind state, it's going to be hard for you to play regardless. And we know lots of people that are not in trauma and they have no play. But I can teach you, you can learn to be more playful. And then even if I have traumas and I have blind spots and I have taboos and I have post-traumatic stress disorder, that does not mean that I have to, that I, I, that I, I can't be playful. I want to give an example. I used to work with women that came out of a, of a shelter. And I'd meet them five years later, 10 years later, still holding that victim mentality. Even though right now there is no oppressor, they have their own apartment, their own job. But what happened is just no one was playing with them. Everyone was coddling them. Everyone was, 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 you know, was keeping, was being a saver to these women and they were not helping them grow. So it's fine. Like we all have our shtick. We all have our traumas. Some are bigger than the others. So what we do is we learn to play within that, put the joy inside your tear, 
play within the pain. It's, the pain's not going to go away. We want it to shift. By the way, back to EMDR, the whole idea of it is trauma. It just gets locked in your brain, becomes a black hole. And what we do in EMDR, we just milkshake up your brain. We just connect that to different parts of the brain. We're not erasing it. We're not hypnotizing you to forget it. We're just connecting it to the rest of your body. Everything is movement. Everything is play. Play. Don't take yourself seriously. So the answer to the question, so you're saying even somebody who's had a really serious trauma, you're saying they can play. They have to get to the point where they can play, and then they're good. They can be in a relationship. But Rabbi Bernath, where, if you've had a really serious, if someone has had a really serious trauma, you know, something on the real serious side, does that have to get disclosed in dating? I think that's a Rabbi Bernath question. Is the dating uh, the dating uh, coach? Does that have, does that have to get disclosed? When does it have to get disclosed? I'm interested to hear what Dr. Romanelli has to say. But I would say is that um, it really depends on what the trauma is and how it plays out in the relationship itself. I don't think you have to say from the first date. Um, I think it's something that, 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 that takes you over. At some point, you're going to find that there's going to be a move in the relationship. In the religious dating, it happens a little faster than in secular dating. But at some point, you're going to find that there's going to be like, okay, we're, we're at a point where this relationship is developing. And at that point, you're going to bring up various elements and things that are more difficult to bring up. You're going to have some serious conversations, hopefully. And at that point, I think it's a good idea to bring up those kind of traumas. And not everything. You don't have to say everything. But to definitely, if it's something that really is important that you think that the other person needs to know, then I would definitely bring it up. So I'll, I'll share my opinion. And we can stop calling me Dr. Romanelli. You can call me Asael. I know it's a hard name. Dr. Okay, Romanelli. No. Picks, okay. um, I'd say like this. I want to give an example. I have a client, a single client. He, he did a hair implant. He flew during the COVID to uh, to to whatever Spain he did the implant then he came back two weeks he was in uh solitary how do you call that solitary solitude whatever and then he went on a date but he didn't want to tell her that he did this this operation on his hair right he didn't want to share his hair implant because it was the second date with this woman quarantine thank you confinement solitary confinement that was funny (laughs) so so I said to him, how the day was? He said, the truth is the day was really, uh, like, it wasn't really interesting. I was like, why? He's like, well, nothing. We weren't really talking about anything. And I said, did you happen to disclose the reason why you were, you know, MIA for two weeks? He says, no. And I said, no wonder, because it, I think for me, what I'd say like this, if you have some trauma that is very pre- prevailing in your life, that is shaping your interactions, let's put that on the table. It's almost like if you had one arm, it would be pretty evident on the first day that you only have one arm. It would be from the moment you open the door, they would see it. So I'm saying if some of your traumas are reached a level where they either define you or they really, if you don't disclose it, you will be super fake, then find a way. It's also fine to say, you know, I have a complicated family background. Or in his case, you say, I went away for a certain procedure. I'm a bit embarrassed about it, but I do want to tell you about it. But like, that's where I was for the past two weeks. Because at the end of the day, it's not about the actual information. It's can I be in self-exposure mode? I'm reminding you, one of the definitions of self-exposure is immediacy skills. Immediacy skills in psychotherapy means it's not like I'm sharing as a therapist, uh, my wife and, my, and, my, and you know, my brother. It's about stating the here and now, broadcasting live. And if you're broadcasting live, you can say, you know, you keep bringing up family. And I, I just want to say to you, I mean, you'll get to know me, but. Me and my brother, this is, uh, by the way, true. Me and my brother, we're not that close. 
but I don't want to talk about it now, but I just like, we keep talking about it and I see that it's like, I'm moving away from that topic. Like if you can keep it real and broadcast live, you don't have to disclose personal information, but I am encouraging you to say the thing to be, to broadcast live immediacy so, skills. I, I, is that clear? The difference between yeah. stating it and just, yeah. there's a question that came before that's very much along these lines. So I want to kind of uh, segue right into that. This person asked, sometimes broadcasting live can be destructive. Though, what would, he says, Dr. Romanelli, I will say, Atzael. Thank you. So along the same lines, what about having manners and not just blurting things that are on your mind? Okay. So that's why I purposely gave you the order of own your shtick, let it land, and then say the thing. Say the thing's the last one. You remember that scene in Jim Carrey in Liar, Liar, where he stops lying and they just spits out in that meeting he just spits out like that is not saying the thing. Because if I'm focusing on the three fingers that are on myself, I'm owning it. I'm letting what Hannah is saying to me in. And I'm, in the, and I'm reminding you, the reason I'm saying the thing is not to belittle or humiliate Hannah. The reason I'm saying it because I want to have a spontaneous, we call this a now moment in therapy. A now moment means it's, it's happening right now. It's fresh. It's, it's, it creates what we call the relational third. You know, I'm sure you have the Jewish spin on this, but when two people meet, Hashem is with them, right? There's the Shekhinah, there's the thirdness. So in psychotherapy, you say to create that synergistic third, the thing that's bigger than me and Chana individually, the magic, the, the thing me and Chana keep coming back to, in order to create that third, I need to be owning my shtick, letting it land and say the thing. And so when I'm saying to Chana the thing, I'm saying it because I want to be more authentic. The reason I'm saying all these things to you and I'm blurting out these, these shticks that I'm feeling is because I want to be more and more myself. I don't want to feel like Dr. Romanelli. I need to heal all of you. I want to feel like Asael. And I can just share with you a lot of things that I've experienced. And you're giving me a stage. And this is a win-win. I get to express myself and to synergize live and have all these action insights. You guys get to be part of the place, the play date that me and Rabbi Bernath are doing. So it's a win-win. I don't remember what the question was anymore. <laughs> Perfect. So let's go on to the play dates with the play state and with, you know, with this idea of play, we become a drama queen or a drama key. What do you think about the schism and the managing our emotions? You know, everything is about moderation. What about tranquility? Yeah, just to clarify, philosophically, asking about stoicism. Right, he's saying, well, Judaism, you know, he thinks that has a lot in common with Stoicism. What about being Stoic? You know, how does that work with play? So, Are you against Stoicism? Um, I'm going to pretend as if I know what Stoicism is, but if I had to one-line it, please correct me if I'm wrong. It's me being um, calm, right? Everything happens like, right? I am water. I am ocean. I am no, there is no tree. There is no Zen. There is no matrix. Kind of like that. Let's see. I will go with that. It's a Greek philosophy, just like, yeah, but, uh, but being Stoic. You know, there's a lot. Right, right. Even that, like, why would I own it? I want to own my shtick. I don't even know what stoicism means, but you know what? Who cares? See, the second I say that, I'm done. I don't have to pretend no Greek philosophy, even though it was my minor in my undergrad. But who was listening then? I was was somewhere else there. Okay, the the drama king, the drama queen. No, no, no. I want to say something. First of all, all, no, no. I want to say something about this. Okay, this is also another episode of the podcast. Feelings, right? Feelings are what differentiates us and this IKEA table. Somehow, God has chosen you to come back as a human and not as a book that Rabbi Bernath never read on the third shelf over there on the left, okay? So feelings is part of being alive. And what I'm realizing more and more, this whole idea of regulating yourself. So on one hand, I don't be suffering all day and oh, and oh, oh, 
So in provocative therapy, Frank Ferrelli says, he talks about humor. He doesn't talk about play. But what he says is this. He says, there's two extremes you can fall into. Being too heady, left brain, stoic, machine, robot, and being too emotional. Ah, ooh, ah, ooh. But then he says, play is what balances the two. Right? Because I want to be alive. I want to feel alive. And right, sometimes I, the, the key to your joys and your pain, like I want to feel the full emotional range. I don't want to be led by it, but I want to have access to it. Because what I feel a lot of times but what they're actually saying is that they're emotionally limited. They're emotionally limited. And then we grow up with a generation of men that are considered emotionally crippled by their wives. And they're like, I don't feel anything because all we have left is aggression and sex. So we have to act it out or we have to just blind ourselves or dumb ourselves or, or like run away into work, drugs, porn, sex. So, so I want to find a way where I can feel my feelings. Now, I think when you say drama king, it's like a, it's like a negative thing. Like you're just doing it for the drama. I'm not, we're differentiating drama from play, drama from play. Play means I'm playful. So even if I'm doing, oh, I can't believe you said that. I'm still playful. Like the newest thing me and Galit do, we say, you disappointed me when she actually did. But we're adding some, that's another episode you can check out. Like you want to add some, well, the second I can say, you really disappointed me for not calling and asking how my day was. It's true. She did disappoint me. But if I add some, some play to it, I can, I can bring that. I can bring that feeling. Because at the end of the day, you live twice. Once when you experienced it, the other time when you share it. And I want to share my life. Or like this whole talk, Galit's going to ask me when this is over, how it was? I might say three sentences. Unfortunately, I won't be able to convey to her the two hours of high that I was feeling. But hopefully with, with Rabbi Bernath and Rabbi Yosh later, and hopefully some of you will stay in touch. We can like relive this moment. But, but like, I don't remember what the question was. Okay, let's go on to the next one because... I think we need to, I, there's a lot of questions coming in and I want to try to get to all of them because people are going to be waiting for their question to be answered. And I really want to honor the people who are here because we have them on mute. I consider um, the chat to be sacred. I know we're using that a lot tonight, uh, but I think it's really important that people be able to get their questions in. So let's-, uh, let's Sacred or sacred or muted, whatever. Same thing. Let's go. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> let's, let's do some rapid fire here. How can we deal with yes. people who would, how can we deal with people who want to hurt us? There are a lot of people like this. They intentionally want to hurt us. How do we deal with them? Stay away from them. How do you as Terry as Terry Real says, if it's not kind, I'm not interested. If you keep belittling, mocking me, laughing me, I will stay away from you. And then you can say, but I can't, but I can't. You always have a choice. You are not in prison. Enough with that. No one is your jailer. Enough give with us, that. Give us two, three red flags that we can know right away that somebody wants to hurt us. I want to reframe that question, please, Your Honor. Is there anything that... Why I are we assuming that he wants to hurt us? Maybe they're just not in tune with us. Not everybody wants to hurt us. Maybe they're just thinking about themselves. But here's two, here's two rapid-fire tips of like... If on one hand, they're doing the holy trinity of blocking and almost anything you say, a bit authentic, they either are disappointed, surprised, or insulted, stay away. If on the other hand, they belittle you or aggressive toward you, and when you call them on it, and here it is, you have to call them on it because they might not be aware. And if they didn't, if they repeatedly don't own their shtick, like, what are you talking about? If they gaslight you or say, I don't know that, also stay away. Is it a good idea to intentionally rupture while you're dating? So here's the thing. You don't have to intend, like, because 
we didn't talk about ruptures and repairs, but psychotherapy research says the best relationships are full of ruptures and repairs, right? Dissonance and harmony, dissonance and harmony. You need those. But here's the mistake a lot of beginning therapists do. And also, like, I'm not purposely trying to create a rupture with Stephen Conroy. But I'm allowing, I, I know, and we have this, ta- this implicit agreement that we're going to be broadcasting live and I might confuse something. I might say something that he won't like, but we're going to have enough of a bandwidth that if I do, if we do have that rupture, we can get back on the horse. So I'm not looking to purposely insult Stephen, but I am want to flirt with him. I do want to poke him. I do want to stretch him. I want him to stretch me. And that's why, by the way, in the beginning of in my first session of therapy, I'm going to be blunt. I'm going to, I'm going to try different ways. I'm going to see how much can I play with Hannah? How much will Chaya let me play with her until she gets insulted? And then, and then I know my parameters. And then I always want to push him more. I don't know if that makes sense. Absolutely. If you've been hurt in a relationship, how do you put that in the past and move forward? If I was what? Hurt in a relationship. Get in line. (laughs) Who wasn't hurt in a relationship? We get hurt in a relationship because our life is the relationship. We are a relational self. Enough of this. Of course you were hurt. And the older you get, the more hurt you are. Does that mean that there's no point? No. Go back on the field. Get back on the field. Because even if your heart got broken and stepped on, at least you tried. That's Brene Brown's whole, whole, whole thing, Brene Brown. Like, show up. Daring greatly. That's, her, that's the name of her book. You dare greatly. You try it. She says, if you want my respect, get on the field. Don't bitch about it at home. Don't gossip about it with your girlfriends. Go again and again. And you will find that person that will, that will meet you there. Yeah, because I keep meeting these women, mid thirties and older. Like I keep people keep telling me I'm too much. I'm too much. I'm too much. No, you're not too much. You're not too much. But you've they've fed this and you've accepted that, and that's also a defense mechanism. Yeah, keep bringing that too much, just you will find a man or a woman or whatever, whatever you whatever's PC these days that can meet you there. Yeah. Enough, 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 enough with this. I'm trauma and I'm hurt. I get it. You know the thing I love saying the most now in therapy is just to say, stop it. I love to say it. Just say, stop it. Just stop it. I love that. So just stop it. Yeah. Next question. If you have a problem because of a past relationship with trusting others, is it okay to say at the outset you require complete honesty, even no white lies? <laughs> I know. Hey, um, um, Benjamin, whatever, you know, whatever your name is, Doron or like, Klaus, I don't know, Hirsch, okay? I've been hurt thousands of times. I know you can't promise me that you will always tell the truth because you're human. I will do the best I can to broadcast live. But let's agree that if we do find that we've kind of either gaslighted, lied, or just not told the truth, let's try to at least retroactively own it. That's a good idea. Because he, he can't promise you anything. It's bullshit. Because anyways, you're in self-presentation. You know how many dates me and Orit had until we told each other the truth, Orit, Nahon, it's been, we know that for you. There's no, there's no way to unawkwardize a first date or a, even, you know, it's, the beginning of a relationship. It's, it's so awkward. It's, but again, that, that's again why I like in the beginning of therapy or even in the beginning of the talk, I like to spritz, I like to squeeze a lot of play. First of all, why? It's more for me, just so I can feel comfortable talking to Orit and imagining me and Orit had dates. I'm not hitting on her. It's not a sexual, it's a playful space, but we don't, we're so not used to this. We're like, why is he playing with me? What does he want from me? What's wrong with it? Nothing's wrong. He wants to do a play date. By the way, dogs are one of the only animals, thanks to humans, because we killed all the other species, but like they're in constant state of play. Look how friendly they are because they're playing. They're not in survival mode, right? I don't know why I'm giving that example. Keep going. Next question. 
How do you know? How do you know when you're in love? Why do you need to know that? Exactly. That's what Just I Just enjoy the moment. Why are you analyzing it? If you enjoy having time with the lady, just call her again. Enough with this. You know this, this single guy, the guy with the hair transplant, he's like, no, you need to wait three days before you send her the SMS. He's like a, he's a computer programmer. So he has like this, it's three days, then you send her the text. And you, People always ask Enough. Me that. that is game. That's game. That's game. That's killing the play. You're killing the play. If oh, I want more time with the And you know what? And you know what? If I'm too overeager and I wrote Olit, um, and, uh, a WhatsApp, I don't know if you guys do WhatsApp, but whatever. I wrote her and it was too soon and she thinks I'm pathetic, then I shouldn't be with Olit because I want to be in a relationship where I can call Olit 20 times because I miss her. Guys, next question. <laughs> you know how you know you're going to be in love? It's just going to happen from one second to the next. It's going to be at 437 and 16 parts. You know, that's how we do it. I also want to say one thing, like it's been my personal experience with Galit and maybe it's because I came in older with the relationship. I never felt the romantic in love butterflies. You know it's what I so felt weird. more? I, I, I want to say this is, this is how it felt for me. I felt, um, I felt relaxed. I felt as if I knew her for 20 years, like that first day. Like, I think I want to reframe in love to just feeling like it could be myself. Is that because you were, relaxed with yourself that you felt relaxed with her and she was relaxed with herself. So the dynamic became relaxed and you felt like you could just be yourself. I, I don't know because I, st- I don't know if I, I'm still trying to feel more and more comfortable with myself. I don't think I was like, I, I was enlightened and then I met Galit. I think I came in a mindset. I mean, I've told you like I was a peak of dating. I, I was the player in the bad sense of the, of the word. And then I realized, is that it? And then I had this like mini depression where I st- did everything different. And I think when I came to the day with Galita, I was like, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to have fun. I'm just going to be myself. And from the beginning, that's how I was. And we were joking. And, and this is by the way, an action insight. I never thought about this. Can we switch to in love to like, to just saying loving the moment or loving the interaction? Can we just, can we, can we change that? So it's not so pressuring. So it's, I'm not in love. I'm loving the moment. I'm loving it. McDonald's is it loving it or at KFC, loving it, loving it. I'm loving it. I'm loving this moment. I want to have more. I'm in love with this conversation right now. Am I in love? No, I'm loving it. I'm loving what's happening. I think, so I think it's so important that we say that because people are getting into dates like, oh, am I going to marry them? Relax. Whoa, hold back. The first date is so you, if, if, if you're not like totally turned off by the first date, then that's good enough to go on a second date. And the second date leads to the third and then to the fourth. Don't start jumping 10 steps ahead. That's not what it's about. Well, part of the rebranding we're going to be doing is stop calling it soul dating and we'll call it play dates. Yeah. I'm having a play date and I want to love it. Not him, not me. I'm loving it. If I'm loving it, I go on another date. That's what I want at the end of the day. I'm loving it. All we have is this moment right now. I'm loving it. I'm not thinking 10,000 years ahead. It's obviously easier said than done. It's obviously easier. It gets harder the older we get. And when we're being set up and there's this pressure, I'm, I'm... I have a woman now in therapy and she's, she's mid thirties. And I'm we're, all we're working on is just to be more playful on her dates. Cause it's, it goes like this. Okay. Either you've only met baboons and you need to date more men, which doesn't make sense because you've met hundreds, if not thousands of men or something in you is disqualifying people too soon. Now, I just want to encourage you to go in the other route, whether it's true or not, who cares, but like what will give you more agency? What will give you more play? It's not about, there is no one. 
There's several of them. It's the question is timing. I met Galit. They tried to introduce me eight months before, but I, wouldn't, I didn't even see her. I was too in my own mind, in my own ego. So it's not, there's not one. There's several of them. The question is what, like if I switch, if I stop doing this and go more on the three fingers of connecting to myself, I choose to see that it's more me and I want to be more playful because you know what? Let's say you're destined to be alone for the rest of your life. That sucks. Which one would you rather be? The sweater lady with 12 cats that they only notice you die when the body smells that bad two weeks later? Or would you rather be the sweater lady that has lots of playful moments? At least you're having play. At least you have people that you're authentic with. Again, you can have intimate relationships. Even like I know this might not sound encouraging, but let's let's own it. Let's say there's a there, that, that's a possibility. But at the end of the day, what's happening is is that these these as singles get older, they get bitter. They get bitter and they feel like victims, and that's a vicious cycle because that's just not fun. And then you attract your life sarcastic, bitter people that have to belittle the other to feel better about themselves. Right. So that is the real revolution. The real revolution is step out of your bitterness, go back on the court. And you know what? If you're destined to be alone, you will be alone. But at least you'll be on the court. You'll be playful. You'll be vulnerable. You'll be in self-exposure. At least you gave up your best. And you know what? That's all we could do. And I think the center, and I want to say this to you, and this is a shout out to you, Rabbi Bernath and Rabbi Yosh. You are creating that space so people can come there and feel loved. And you're right. They might not be married there. They might not live in the center, but at least they're feeling these moments of potential state and play. And you know what? It's, you could say it's a replacement, but you know what? It's, it's more than nothing. And any moment of play that you can have, find those people, stay close to them, and keep, trying, keep on trying. Let's, let's oh. see if we can go through a couple more of these. What's our official ending time? Uh, official ending time. Never! Never! We're no, going to do this forever. By the way, we're going to, if the, you know, it seems like everyone's enjoying this, and uh, not, maybe not everyone knows this, but I think we're planning on doing more of these, right? This is great. Yeah, we, we, we'd like this to be a series, uh, The Rabbi and the Therapist, and we're going to go through uh, a, a lot of different ideas. Uh, I think this is a 24-hour marathon fundraiser okay. for the center, starting That's out, right. 24 hours. Okay, so no, but I'm saying, because we don't have to get through all the questions, we'll do more of these. We should have an ending time, I think it's important. Let's try to get through at least you know, three or four more of these. Okay. Um, is it realistic, post-divorce, to find my soulmate who will make me feel the most special person in the world? when there will be an ex-wife and children and potentially a challenging history to deal with. Asael, that's probably for you. So listen, that's another example of baggage. We all bring our baggage and there's certain realities. That's called the thirdness, the reality that there's other things. It's not just me and Erez in our little bubble. There's, there's life. Life is happening all the time. So instead of ignoring it, it's not, it's not, you see, I think even the question is saying, of course. So I come with, a, I come with an ex-wife and two kids. And Eris has a, a sibling that has that issue and he, whatever, and he has that financial history. It doesn't mean that we can't. It just means that's part of the cards. Now, again, does Eris love, does Eris need to love every single thing about me? No, because 70, this is the Gottman say, 70% of whoever you're going to marry, uh, your problems are insolvable or unsolvable. There is no perfect relationship. Okay, so with Eres, it's going to be about going out. With Ariel Malka, it's going to be about our religious observance, whatever. So, like, that's never going to happen. So, instead of saying, will I ever find that? Again, this soulmate, like, all these words are putting a lot of pressure. Will I find someone that will um, conditionally love me good enough that we'll both be loving it more than unloving it? Yes, that is quite possible. But if you're coming in and soulmate who will accept me and will make me feel like the most special person in the world. Whoa, that's putting a lot of pressure on the other. 
How about owning your own shtick? Do you think you're special? Do you enjoy being with yourself? Right. Do you think you're pretty? I hope the answers are more, more yes than no, or on, a, on most days I am. Because it's uh, that's a kind of fantasy. So basically, what I'm looking for a yes man that's going to lie to me when I say, "Do I look? Do I have a beer belly?" She's going to, "Oh no, you look great." It's like, no, I like. Is that really what I want? Is that what we aspire to? I don't need that. If for that, I can have a neighbor and any other person in my life who's going to say, "You look great." No, I want somebody who's going to keep it real with me because that's what people miss. They miss real, honest feedback. What people really think. What do you really think about me? Exactly. <laughs> do you really want to hear it? Because I'll be giving it to you. That's what nobody wants to hear. Exactly. Right, Mila? Mila, Mila? Mila and I have talked about this thousands of times. Yes. Okay. Um, next one. How can coming from a divorced home affect an individual and in choosing a partner? That's a really good question. I'll just say that. Like, it really, because a lot of times I'll ask, what model of intimacy did you see at home? So for oftentimes what we'll see when people, when their parents divorced when they were young and they usually the mom never remarries, it's always the dad that remarries within like a minute and the mom stays single forever. Not single, like unmarried. But oftentimes what's going to happen is that they're going to see a model of intimacy where a men are like Galit, her parents were divorced. And on the second date, she kind of blurted out fathers are overrated. That is a classic child who grew up in a divorced home where she grew up more with the mom than the dad. So oftentimes what we'll see is that we have a warped perception of, of intimacy, either that we don't need intimacy, we don't need men, or we don't need women, whatever. But it's, I see this mostly with the mom that stays with the kids, or that they have, or that conflict is scary. So we all, we call this intergenerational scripts. That's another episode you can check out. So like, I don't know if it's about the divorce or not the divorce. It's about what scripts did you inherit? Because oftentimes I can come with a home where both of my parents were still married. That doesn't mean that they were happy. It doesn't mean they were intimate. It doesn't mean that they stepped into the crucible. So let's stop saying if they're divorced or not divorced and seeing what did you learn? What was modeled to you? But yes, there is. And I, but saying that I do want to own it and say, yes, there's an external reality. When I grew up with one parent, I do not have a memory in my mind etched of what does intimacy look like. I don't know how it looks like. And if I don't know how it looks like, I'm going to complete it. In, in a certain way. But even by not seeing a relationship, that's also sending a message to your kids saying, you don't need a relationship. Yeah. So it's not about the divorce. It's like, what did you inherit? And we all inherited something. Divorce, not divorce, et cetera. Right. And there's, there's also the process of going through, um, you know, the fact that your parents or, you know, that, that your view of marriage is divorce and recreating your own framework for what a successful marriage will look like finding good role models. I mean, there's all those elements as well, right? Yeah. And that's called the improvising script. And we'll, you can see that in the episode on improvising Absolutely. Um, just one last question. I mean, there's Let's a bunch it. of questions. I'm going to keep those questions here for our next time. So hopefully we'll be Please. able to get to them. But we're just going to end off with one last question. And that is um, one that I What get is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? Just what is the meaning of life in a nutshell? Exactly. <laughs> uh, what if you don't like yourself? Join the line, back of the line, right behind me. You can stand. Who, who does love himself these days? Yeah. Does. Yeah. You know what? Maybe we need to love ourselves just enough. You yeah. know what? If you love yourself, the first thing I would ask you if you're in therapy, what's your secondary gain from that being your business card? Huh? What do you gain from that? You're not just a victim. You've been holding onto this business card because it served you, because it protected you. And I think that's really what it's about. And like, that is a result of owning my shtick for so many years about my vulnerabilities is like, I know that. 
So like, if that becomes your business card, if that becomes your mantra, I don't love myself, I don't love myself, then I'm going to say to you, what are you gaining from it? I'm going to give you some tough love. Before I'm going to say, you got it and be the person. No, before all of that, first of all, what do you gain? Own your shtick. What do you gain from that? And then you're going to, and then you're going to say to me, nothing. I've always went, no, bullshit. You've been holding that business card. You've been getting a lot of attention from that business card. That business card has protected you from fulfilling yourself, has enabled you to blame others for your inability to fulfill yourself. That has enabled you to be the pity and to maintain the victim card in any relationship you create. Just a few examples. Like, are you ready to step into that? Are you ready to face that? If you are, I will meet you there. And we will walk together. I'm not going to heal you. I'm not going to make you feel better about yourself, but I'm going to love you and I'm going to spritz play into your eyes, squirt play into your eyes so we can move within that. Because I don't feel sorry for you because I'm also, because I'm also like you. I'm also faulted. I'm also scared. So I'm not going to become your savior, but I'm not going to become your persecutor. I'm just going to be a fellow flawed person trying to move, trying to put tear, trying to joy inside your tears. Thank you, Asel, for joining us today. This has been absolutely amazing, really, uh, really informative and enlightening, and I can use a bunch of other adjectives as well. But uh, really, most of all, thank you for being here and for sharing yourself with us and uh, your brilliant, your knowledge. This has been, uh, I can't say enough. I, I, I myself have learned so much and we're, and so many people are writing in the comments how amazing this time has been. And I hope we're going to do it again. If you, I, I want to say something. Yeah. Can I just say something quick? I want to say one thing that's more like emotional. One thing that's more logistical. Um, I just want to really thank you guys for coming. I mean, it always surprises me. And, and like, I'm like, why would people want to listen to this play date with me and Rabbi Bernath for two hours? And <laughs> I, I thank you for letting me also kind of, broadcast live and get these action insights as it's happening. And I really appreciate that. And the two things that are potential state or the, the yin and yang that I work with is on one hand, playfulness, silliness, like we did, but on the other hand, I'm really glad we also finished with extreme vulnerability. You can't have one without the other. It can't just be vulnerable, like, Oh, but it can't just be silly jokey jokes. It has to be both. And for me, that is the recipe for potential state. Like if I can have extreme silliness and flirtiness and whatever, but then also very, very deep vulnerability. And what I'll say is this is um, please be in touch. We'll send you all the links. There's a podcast, YouTube channel. Um, and also you can just email me. We can, we can, you can do a session. Like I'm happy to help on the journey. And I want to thank you. Um, first of all, Rabbi Yosh for moderating this. And, and I just want to say, Rabbi Bernath, I am so fortunate that you have entered my life. You have opened a prism to a whole new world that I would have never reached to or to, would have taken another decade. And I don't take it for granted that you're taking a risk, a Chabad rabbi letting uh, a therapist just to basically broadcast live and say um, not modest words and use Christian and Muslim analogies. And I just really thank you for the play date, the play space that you create and you're allowing me to be in there. You're so welcome. And Sometimes it's hard for me to hear some of those three-letter words that don't make me feel comfortable in a, in a public forum, but I'm happy that there's an openness and a way that we can share, and it's not always going to be perfect, no. but, it, but it's real. Yeah. All right, people. This has been really great, and if you want to reach uh, Asael, uh, 
You can reach him at asael at potentialstate.com. I just wrote that in the chat here. Okay, amazing. And you can reach me at rabbi at jewishndg.com. And uh, once again, we're going to follow up. We'll send you some good materials following this email. If you are not part of this email and you, you want that material, you're welcome to message either one of us for the materials. And uh, I really uh, thank all of you for sticking it out with us. And uh, we're going to do this again. This is really special. And we're definitely going to do this again. So thank you. Stay Jewish, everyone. Stay Jewish. Right, Rabbi Bernal? Love that. Stay Jewish. <laughs> All right. Good night, Shavuoto. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com Scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.